Hello, I'm Brooke Johnson. Welcome to my father's podcast. For this week's message, or any of the messages in our archive, subscribe for free on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Bethel Christian Fellowship is a church that relies on the support of its community. We consider you a part of that community, and we would love for you to participate in our financial life. You can do that at our website at drcraigjohnson.org. Whether you're new to this space or a regular pod listener, we're glad you're here. We believe that this message will bring you hope, encouragement, and guidance. God bless you. Good morning, church. We greet you in the name of Jesus. Can we greet our streaming family? Amen. Put your hands together. You are welcome in the name of the Lord. We welcome you. We are so excited to be here today. I, I'm so honored to be in the house of the Lord with all of you today, and I'm, I'm so excited. I, uh, I've been sitting on this message for two weeks, and, and I don't know what to do. It might hatch, so we, we're going to have to get to it today. Oh, beloved, we're in a series right now called On the Threshold, and if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we talked about stumbling on the threshold, that the Lord is, is uniquely interested right now in this season of our lives, that we don't come up to the point of destiny and fail. We don't want to die on the threshold of greatness. And so we've been encouraging you in the word of the Lord. And we did a wonderful threshold teaching called the threshold of Zared. If you missed that one, go back and listen to it. Zared was the crossing point, the most important crossing point in the history of the Bible, where the last one died. And they were released to go into the promised land. Did you know that everyone that would not believe the Lord for 38 years of wandering, died 100 funerals a day for 38 years, and somewhere, somehow, the last grandma died. You never know who it is. I might, I might have to preach it. <laughs> but, but there was one person left from that generation, and everybody was like looking at the watch and waiting. And when they died, it says at Kadesh Barnea, they crossed over the threshold of Zared. Go listen to that. Last week, Moses, my servant, is dead. We linked a sermon around the time of Zared because did you know that after 38 years, that the entire generation of unbelief that had left Egypt died. And there were three guys left, <laughs> Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. And we find out that uh, uh, Miriam had died. The worship leader had died. Aaron had died. The first original high priest had died. And now last week, Moses had died. And, and you remember Joshua had to be approached four times. And he had to be told, be of good courage. Moses, my servant, is dead. Did you know that it's so important for us to realize that Moses is dead? That it, your past, everything, that how you've been used to God moving, uh, the Moses is dead uh, teaching crystallizes the fact that the Lord needs us to see that he is signaling an end to much that we need to let go of. It's time to let go. Moses is dead. And it says, therefore, Joshua, you arise and go forth. And so we see the people of God moving from the circularity that they were locked in for 38 years. Ever been locked in a circle? The view never changes. Everything, the same terrain. And did you know it's funny when uh, sometimes it's the sins of others that put you in 38 years of exile. 
See, we're looking at the fact that Joshua and Caleb are two men that had a unique spirit. We're going to be looking today at Caleb on the threshold. We're going to be looking at the spirit of Caleb. We're going to be looking at the kind of leaders that God has been raising up over the last 40 years because it is his intent to use a special kind of folk to lead this next generation. Did you know it's going to take the spirit of Caleb to capture the heart of this generation for the things of God? A religious spirit is boring. Religion is dead. We need a living relationship with Jesus Christ, and we need living men, women, boys, and girls that have a Caleb spirit, a wholehearted spirit. It's not their talent. It's not their gifts. It's not their ability. It's not their pedigree. It's not their degree. It's that they are wholeheartedly given over to God. Did you know we say it all the time? The only ability that God requires is availability. It's true. Do you remember it says of James and John, it said, uh, all they knew is they perceived they had been with Jesus. They hadn't been to seminary, hadn't been to Bible college, hadn't been to the synagogue, hadn't been to the temple, but they perceived they'd been with Jesus. They're, 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 the Caleb spirit, we're going to be introduced to a man named Caleb. He is seen as an utterly unique leader. He is, uh, he is out of the mold. There is nothing common about Caleb. And God is going to raise up Caleb's in this season. And they're unique, and they're off the charts, and they come out of nowhere. In fact, they're nobodies. But the beauty of Caleb, we're going to find it, his name means dog, by the way. Isn't that lovely? That's what they thought of him and his pedigree. That's what they thought of him and his family. He actually was a slave, but he had overcome the slave mentality. He actually was born in Egypt. He actually saw God judge Pharaoh. He saw the ten plagues that came upon the, the, uh, the people of Egypt. He saw all of the great deliverance of God delivering his people from Egypt, the type of the world. He walked with them on dry ground through the Red Sea. He went to Mount Sinai and saw the giving of the Ten Commandments. Caleb witnessed the birthing of the tabernacle and all of its significance, and he saw the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. He saw the manna. He saw that the shoes never wore out. Caleb saw the bone box of Joseph that they carried in the wilderness. Caleb saw and experienced everything in biblical redemptive history. And at 40 years of age, did you know sometimes God will show you in a young moment what you're not going to see fulfilled in your life till you're older? Did you know God gives his promises in our youth and usually makes us wait a lifetime or half a lifetime thereabouts to see the fulfillment? <laughs> no one explained that system to me. I had prophetic words on a Tuesday, thought they were going to come to pass Friday, the latest. But in the Bible, Caleb is 40 when he first sees the mountain of Hebron. He's 40 when he first walks with his own feet on the ground that he's not going to walk on again for 38 years. Beloved, sometimes God will speak to you in your youth words that can only by definition be fulfilled in old age. God's not finished yet, Caleb. Galileo made some of his greatest discoveries at 73 years of age. Michelangelo made some of his greatest masterpieces at 89 years of age. At 75, John Glenn went back into space. Benjamin Franklin was a framer of the United States Constitution at 81 years of age. Beloved, age is a state of mind when we deal with God. 
and, and we have to understand those of us who realize that we are, we are privileged to live in a time where we stand on the brink of the greatest outpouring of God in human history, that we're right on time. God is never early, but he's never late. And isn't it delicious to belong to something that you know is holy birth of him and run by him, and all you've got to do like a ping-pong ball is just float. You just have to preside. Ping-pong balls never worry about anything. They just float above everything. I've never seen a peach tree go, ah, peach. And we in our time have to realize that God is just about to surface the Caleb's in our time. Oh, beloved, wouldn't it be exciting if this was a time of convergence? Wouldn't it be exciting if, if God is, is preparing something exceeding abundantly above and beyond all we could ask or think, and we just get to watch? We get to participate? Oh, my Lord. Let me read you a little convergence passage, if I could. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you. Trust me, I'm not going to mislead you. This morning, I can't promise anything about next week. I'm in the now. Joshua chapter 2, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you and when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you for the Lord your God the God is in heaven above and he is the Lord of, of the earth below the this is Rahab the harlot who is hiding the two spies in her little house of prostitution on the walls of Jericho and these are two spies that have just been sent in to just like, you know, check things out. And what do they hear? They hear that all of Jericho is terrified of the people of God who are slowly encroaching on their territory. Beloved. Now, you wouldn't believe that either. The residents of Canaan are shaking in terror, about to have a stroke and die of heart attacks because God has put the fear of his people upon the enemies of the king. Now, that's the actual condition of what's going on in Canaan. They're, they're, they're shaken, okay? So in light of this, reality. This is what's really going on. Did you know sometimes there's a big distinction between the ideal and the real? What you think is going on. Remember poor Jacob said all these things be against me. Joseph is no more. Everybody's dead and gone. And right at that moment, Joseph was in charge of the world. The famine was about to end and all of Jacob's dreams were about to come true. But he was sincerely feeling that all these things be against me. You know, feelings come and feelings go. And feelings are deceiving. Our word is the word of God. None else is worth believing. 
Beloved, we are going to either be thermostats that control the environment or we're going to be thermometers that reflect the environment. And we're going to see that God sends out into the land 12 spies. And this was not some small little doodad in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. This is a big deal. This is an 860-mile round trip. Of each tribe, there's a spy. These are brave men. They're men of renown. They're famous in the community. They're men, they're superstars in their community. Twelve of them go out into this land, and this wasn't an overnight sojourn. There's giants. Oh, my God. And no, it's 860 miles. These guys are in dangerous territory. They, they're of a different race. They speak a different language than the Canaanites. They have to watch themselves. And for 40 days and 40 nights, they are sneaking up and around the entire land. From Kadesh Barnea to Hamat, that's 860 miles round trip. So, you know, you got to get a mental picture of what's going on. They're, they have ne- they've, been in Egypt, they've been in the wilderness, and now they're in the land of hills and valleys crawling all over the place. And you know what? It's an amazing land. My God. Pomegranates as big as basketballs. One cluster of fruits, one cluster of grapes took two men and a wedge to carry this on their shoulder. This is a mighty land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Did you know Egypt was flat, and they had to have apparatuses that they would use to pump to get the water up to the crops. So Egypt was flat. There were no mountainous regions in Egypt. The only mountainous things in Egypt were man-made, the pyramids. There's a whole series I could do there. I'm not even going to try that thing and preach itself. Never mind, never mind. You've been in flatlands where the only mountains, what you call a mountain, has been man-made things. Well, God says, I'm calling you to a land of hills and valleys. I'm calling you to a land that you don't need to pump with your foot. Okay, keep going in your human effort, you know, to water the crops. It's a land of hills and valleys. The water's just everywhere. So they're seeing fruit. They're seeing a land of milk and honey. They're seeing more goats and sheep and goat and milk and honeys. Oh, Lord, it's beautiful. But they're also giants in the land. So I want you to see that a committee goes out. We're going to compare a committee with Caleb this morning. By the way, I read about that convergence. Isn't that delicious to think about? What do I mean? Uh, Well, Rahab had the privilege of living in a time of convergence. That means that girl was given the privilege to stand in the walls of Jericho. And she watched over 500 years of redemptive furniture materialize in front of her eyes. Did you know God's been working on things for hundreds, thousands of years, and you can live in a generation where there's a convergence of all these things? (sighs) Rahab is on the walls going, okay, we heard about you guys being in Egypt. We heard about the plagues. We heard about you went through the on dry ground. We heard about the... We heard about the manna. We've heard about Beloved, everybody's watching your life. Whether you know it or not, they're watching. So just know that. If you don't believe it, screw up. Everybody's watching you. All right? How you handle things, how you handle setbacks, how you handle failure, moral and otherwise, everybody's watching the show. They just don't act like they do, but they're watching. 
They want to see you win. They want to see you come back from death. We love a comeback story, don't we? Rahab, with her own eyes, was privileged to live in the generation where all those convergences had happened. Abram was told in, Act, in, uh, in Genesis 15, 16, eh, your people are going to be gone, hundreds of years of bondage, and they're going to come out, and blah, 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 blah. All that history Rahab saw fulfilled in her own eyes in one generation. A convergence of events can happen spiritually in such a way that God can fulfill every prophecy that he's been talking about for a thousand years. Remember our Lord Jesus Christ? Hmm? Remember Jesus said, hey, folks, a greater than Solomon is here. I'm the Lord of the temple. This is my house. I'm the Messiah. The Lord whom you've sought has suddenly come to his temple. In one day, a convergence can happen that fulfills everything. And the, the, the response Jesus got was, yeah, whatever. I like Rabbi Shmuley better. It's a lot nicer. If I lived 2,000 years ago, I would have hair-lipped the universe is what you would have done. Thank God you live now. You, live now. you would have been the, the holy apostle we didn't know about, Rini or something that wound up killing the Messiah at the wrong time. Or so. Trust me, God has you here now for a reason. Like if I could only have been in Galilee. Remember the first time I went to Galilee, it was late at the night. We arrived at the Tiberius Plaza Hotel, and I was 20, and I walked out on a pier, and I looked with a tear in my eye and slipped and just fell in the pitch dark on a mossy. <laughs> walked into the Tiberius Plaza Hotel soaking wet, you know, with guys running and bringing towels and the whole thing. Anyway, so... <laughs> Don't try to maintain your dignity in this move of God. That's that sermon right there. <laughs> but uh, we're, I, want, I want to read a text uh, for you today. This is uh, Numbers 14, verse 10. J just listen. Just listen. Because we're going to look at a committee in just a minute. And, I, and, and we're going to read you the names of ten people whose names you will never hear and, thank God, have never heard. Because they're the ones God had to kill, bringing their negative report. Do you know the Caleb generation is a generation? Remember our ages last week when we dealt with the text? The desert babies born in Egypt were 50-60s when their, when their circularity ended. We live in a time where we have 50-60s that have suffered from failure to launch in our culture, in spiritually speaking, God has a bunch of 50s, 60s that are still called desert babies. They haven't been circumcised, haven't had a Passover, never launched. They've never had enough runway to ever take off. That might be mean that you're a rocket that has to go straight up. Come on now. Yeah. Failure to launch, folk. Hey, uh, maybe you're a rocket and you're not a plane. Okay, anyway, I could have done that too. Jeff would have liked that one. <laughs> all those desert babies are 50, 60 somethings that, you know, heard God a long time ago, but have just sort of <laughs> been on the couch. Good news for all my brethren on the couch. You're right on time. 
Caleb's are men, women, boys, and girls who they, they're not known by their gifts, their talents, or abilities. They're known by their wholeheartedness. Their hearts are wholly given over to God. Do you remember when Jesus, in the Gospel of John, sees the first, the sixth apostle named Nathaniel, and he says, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no guile. He says, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob at all. There's no selfish envy. There's a pure heart. There's no mixture. There's purity. And Jesus is wowed. He's wowed about three times in the Bible. Wouldn't you love to make his heart go, wow? Well, Nathaniel was that. Nathaniel walks up. He's a, he's, he's a Caleb in the New Testament. He's, he's got a pure heart. There's something, he's wholly given over to the Lord. He's got a sense of humor. He's smart. He's biblically literate. He's the guy that says, can any good thing come from Nazareth? You know, he's doing Nazareth jokes. Nathaniel is one of these Calebish people who just comes from under the fig tree somewhere. And Jesus calls him out and, 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 and rejoices over his heart. He says, I've never seen anything like this, not in Israel where it should be happening. An Israelite in whom there's no Jacob at all. Wow. A minister without ministry envy, trying to connive, a little bit of a witch and a warlock. Well, we want to serve God, but we want to manage things too. You know, it's just like, no, please, we don't need that. Caleb is a free spirit. And I want you to see something about him. He's going to defy the majority opinion. Did you know the, those of the Caleb generation are going to speak truth to power? These people are going to bring the minority report of truth to the majority that is off. Did you know in this season, the majority was off? And it took one guy. Joshua stands back and lets Caleb do the talking. We're going to find that out about Caleb. There's something about people wholeheartedly given over to God that will see things no one else can see. They can see God at work when everybody else sees a ruin. Where everybody else sees giants, they see God. Remember I've told you over and over, gaze at God, glance at the giants. Never gaze at the giants and glance at God. I can tell in two minutes where you're gazing by your phone call. It's always a matter of focus, always. Peter gazed at Jesus, glanced at the wind and the waves, and he walked on the water. He shifts and breaks the gaze, starts gazing at the wind and the water, glances at Jesus, and he sinks. And Jesus says, ye a little faith. Faith, it's a matter of focus. Yes, the giants are real, but David didn't see Goliath. He saw God. Saul saw Goliath. David's brothers saw Goliath, but, but, but David, a 14, 15-year-old, comes in and he goes, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that you're allowing him to defy the armies of the living God? See, David saw God. He was gazing at God and glancing at Goliath, and we need to see God. If we see God, we, we, don't, we see the giant. We're not in denial, but uh, giants are irrelevant. Giants fall too. Giants can be killed. But Caleb has the beauty of this glorious, holy, given over heart. You know, his secret is mentioned six times. And he followed wholly after the God of Israel. That's the secret of Caleb, I can tell you up front. His heart was wholly given over. Nathaniel's heart was wholly given over to Christ. John the, John, the beloved, his heart was wholly given over to God. The Apostle Paul's heart was wholly given over to God. It's not ability. It's availability. It's willingness. 
it's, it's being childlike, heightenedly alive. That's what it is. That's who Caleb is. That's, what, that's the only leadership that will be trusted to lead the younger folk in crossing Zerids. A religious spirit will not lead the young folk of this day. Hello and welcome. My name is Pastor Jerry, and uh, we're going to have a heck of a good time today in Jesus. Oh, please, please, please die, Jerry. Die. Please. Die, Jerry. Can you sit on a bus? I'll start the program. Who's Jerry, Mama? Trust me. He needs to die. A religious spirit doesn't work. It never has. It never will bore anymore and you strike oil. Caleb doesn't have a religious spirit. He's heightenedly alive. He's life itself. He's 85 years young. He survived. He saw every. He saw Pharaoh fall. He saw the miracles of God. He's kept. He's not bitter. He's better. He's been through everything everyone went through. But he was the sole guy encouraging everybody for 38 years in circularity. He was the Joel Osteen of the 38 years. Hi, God loves you. We love you. We're praying for you. The glass is half full. The glass is half full. Look at that manna. Isn't it delicious? It's like, Why are we bothered by people who are childlike, you know? Because they convict us. When someone is heightenedly alive, ever seen a young couple in love, what does the old couple do? That won't last. Enjoy that. It's like, what the heck? What? First of all, come out in the name of Jesus in an hour. We, we had this beautiful girl come into church once. One of the church mothers said, I don't like her spirit. It wasn't her spirit. She didn't like it. It was the prettiest thing that woman ever saw and never was. Don't, don't try to call things. Don't misname things. You know, I don't like her spirit. It wasn't her spirit that you had a problem with, honey. It was her perfect body that you had a problem with. It was her youth that you had a problem with. We need to call Bible things by Bible names or we'll confuse some people. It's just jealousy. Confess it. That's the best thing you can do as a mature Christian. If some little girl goes by and you go, my God, isn't she beautiful? Look at, I've never seen a more beautiful body in my life. Never had that. Never will. Maybe in the resurrection. But honey, God bless you. Enjoy your life. Tell the truth. Be honest. I don't like her spirit. Let's pray for her. That's called witchcraft. You don't need to go into it with a... Okay, that's a bad sign that we're not in a vineyard kinship group. Father God. <laughs> I used to have some folk that hated me, and they used to have a coven, I mean a prayer meeting, against me every week. And you could hear them screaming Isaiah out of context in a room. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, bless your heart. That's not God. That's not Jesus. Anyway, let's move along. Caleb on the threshold. Oh, beloved, listen. 
Numbers 14, 24, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. Caleb is coming in. Joshua 14, 11, I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me, as my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and for coming in. Isn't that marvelous? Caleb. His name meant dog. He, 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 he didn't fit into his family's plans, but he was raised a slave, but he shook off slave mentality, and he represented a, a ferocity and a loyalty and a faithfulness that was second to none. And isn't it funny that God will use a non-believer to shame all the folk with the religious spirit? Canaan was adopt, um, uh, Caleb was adopted into the tribe of Judah, but he was not a child of God. He was the type of all the Gentiles in the future that are going to be brought in. Rahab wasn't a believer either. She came in by faith. Ruth was not a believer. She came in by faith. Isn't God amazing that he will take a nobody and make them a somebody? And Caleb is one of those people. This guy had seen it all. This guy was a slave, but he overcame that mentality. And he has such a man wholly given over to God that he transcends every leader and he survives. Even when Moses is dead, he died last week. Sorry to hear about that if you hadn't. Now there's just Joshua and Caleb. And out of Joshua and Caleb, Caleb does all the talking. Caleb confronts the majority opinion that is false. Caleb speaks up and risks his life. Do you know when you're wholly given over to the Lord, you see things others don't see? And you're willing to risk speaking the truth to power, and you don't care even if it's in the presence of the threat of death, you will tell the truth. Caleb will not back down, and he will not shut up. Now, some of you think in your life that you've met losers, and maybe you think you have evidence to support that, but let me read you the name of 10 losers. <laughs> Names you've never heard, and for good reason. The first, now, the, the, these are the 10 that are going to bring back the committee report that God is going to curse. There's no dignity. These are men of renown. These are men that have great reputations to protect. And did you know that when you're a man or woman of renown and you've got a great reputation to protect, that you will guard yourself against anything that is going to rock the boat? First one, from the tribe of Gad, Shamua. From Simeon's tribe, Shaphat. You remember him. From the tribe of Issachar, Igal. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti. From Zebulun, Gadiel. From Manasseh, Gadi. From Dan, Amiel. From Asher, Sethur. From the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi. And from Gad, Geuil. Right? You go, wow, yeah, yeah. No, you've never heard sermons about these guys. Because these are the ten of the twelve spies who went on that 860-mile trek, saw the same facts that Caleb and Joshua saw, but they came back with a different interpretation. You've got to watch. You can even have the right facts, but we're going to have to get down to your interpretation of those facts to see where you fit in the system. They all saw the fruit. They all saw the land flowing with milk and honey. They all saw the giants, but these 10 came back and they stirred up the entire nation 
with poisonous, negative words. They said, the, the land will eat us up. There's giants everywhere. We're going to be their breakfast cereal. There's no way in heaven, earth, and hell that we're ever going to be able to take the land. What has this stupid God called us to do? You know negativity can start a fire that can burn everything. Down. One match can start a fire that burn down a thousand trees. One thing the Caleb generation know, they know the power of negative words. We must be a people who speak positively, that edify, that exhort, that comfort, that speak God's truth in a way that edifies, exhorts, and comforts. And if you're speaking anything that's tearing down, burning down, destroying, you're going to fall like these ten. God will deal with you. I'm just going to you know, you, you know when someone's just, just screaming and they're mad and they're tearing everything down? I always tell my kids, I said, you're either building people up or tearing them down. You're either positive or you're negative. You're either bringing life or you're bringing death. There are no other options. Well, I'm a little bit in between on the death thing. No, you're not. All or nothing. Some things are binary. Some things are on or off. All or nothing. And these ten came back in the name of truth, and they spun the truth, and they gave the wrong interpretation, which is God is an idiot to send us on this trip. We're all going to die. The sky is falling. <laughs> we're all going to die. And the Bible says that they, were, they burst into a frenzy of fire. They terrified the hearts. Now, what's the real condition? The Canaanites are terrified. Of God's people. They're shaking. And the devil gets these ten to lie, to, to missee reality. Did you know two plus two equals 22? Oh, you were running so well. Two twos equal. Wait till you hear it. Listen, wait for it. Because there are folk that will get two and two together, but when the equals hits, wait till you see what they come to. Hmm? Remember, Jesus, bless the babies, plus doing signs and wonders equals he's the devil. No, Pharisees, no, no, Jesus isn't the devil. No, 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 no. wrong conclusion. Therefore, we'll, 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 let's kill him. No, 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 no. Dude, so... So here's what, they all go on the 860-mile trip. They, they come back, and the ten just begin to vent, and they're spleen, and they set the heart of the people on fire. They terrify them. And the whole nation is literally emotionally, that you can feel the unbelief just settling. And they're, 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 scared, they're scared, and they're terrified. And, and Caleb, God bless Caleb. Someone say amen, Caleb. Amen. Chapter 13, verse 30 says, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone with him said, We can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. And they said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there, they're great. We saw the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak. Ah! We're as grasshoppers in their sight. Listen, verse 10, here's my text. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. 
Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the Israelites. Beloved, did you know God's power? We're going to see the greatest outpouring of God in human history. We're going to see the greatest displays of God's power we've ever dreamt of. But they're going to come in tandem with the threat of death. (laughs) Remember Samson? Remember, he's wandering on down into a vineyard where he shouldn't be, and the Bible says that a lion confronted him, and it says as soon as the lion leapt to kill him, the hand of the Lord came upon him. You know, God will wait a little last second till the lion's going, <laughs> and then it says, not, not an hour in advance for him to do spiritual calisthenics and get ready, you know, stretch before you do signs and wonders. It's the last second when you don't even have a warning that God's power comes. The hand of the Lord came on Samson just as a mouth of a lion was here. And so it is with Caleb. Caleb gets up. He defies the majority of report. He speaks as the minority, and he speaks the truth, and he fearlessly comes against the majority because they're dead-ass wrong. And God waits until they're going to kill him. And then the power hits the tent of the tabernacle. You know, you're walking to Vaughn's and you walk right up to the door and you get right up to the door and right up to the door and then it opens. You know, I walk by faith into my Vaughn's. I did go face to face and do the Ralphs over there. I don't have the same relationship with Ralphs in more part. Because I did that once and it just, you know, the little thing wasn't working and the little guy that worked there went, I'm so sorry. You know, I just went, boom, just like that. It was just like, it's, we're, okay, we're okay, we're okay. You know, there used to be a little guy named Dave Dobler that led worship at Melody Land Christian Center. One of the most anointed worship leaders I've ever heard in my life, but David was blind. And he made the mistake of letting me take him out to dinner on a number of occasions. And so we're going into Marie Callender's, and I got him by the arm, and I'm forgetting as we're chatting that David is blind. So I walk him right into the side door, you know, at Marie Callender's. Boom! Full on, full on, like we're walking, talking, fellowshipping, and I forget, you know. And he goes, it's okay, it happens all the time. It's okay, it happens all the time. You know, he's trying to make me feel good about me, but I, you know, I tripped him on the curb. I did everything you shouldn't do <laughs> to a blind man. You know, come to think of it, he never went out to dinner again. But that, Well, but uh, <laughs> it's so embarrassing. Boom. And then one time he used to do worship, and so I took the mic and had, did an introduction about what was going to happen later in the service, and I put it back on the mic stand in a way that when he was doing the keyboard and singing and playing, mid-song, he would leap off the keyboard, you know, in worship. And I, like, hung him. I put the chords where when he left up, <laughs> he got caught he fell over <laughs> with the cord all around his neck. Gosh, no wonder they left. Let me go. Anyway, Caleb silenced the people before Moses. The Caleb's in our time are going to be bold. Oh, what faithfulness, what loyalty, wholly given over to God. And they will speak the truth confidently and boldly and defy the majority. That's one of the traits of Caleb. To the point of the threat of death, because the text says they spoke of stoning them. The whole assembly talked about killing them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared. Boy, (laughs) I want God's glory to appear when I push the button. Isn't that terrible that God maintains control of the glory button 
and it usually has to get down to the gnat's eyebrow before he'll bring that glory out when it's absolutely necessary. So, but he's not asleep. He does, he does manifest his glory. <laughs> God says, I'm so tired of these folk. I'm going to wipe them out, Moses, and start a whole new nation with you, and then we're just going to have a wonderful time. And Moses says, Lord, if you do that, the Egyptians are going to misunderstand it. They're going to misread you. They're going to think you couldn't finish what you started. So forgive them, Lord. So these 10 are wiped out, and these were the parents of the generation going in that we found two weeks ago. The last one dropped dead. Did you know we don't know who the last one is? (laughs) We don't know. Could be Granny. Could be Grandpa. But the, the last one dropped dead, and that signaled them to cross over into glory. But God knows exactly the time for everything. Do you remember when David was in Ziklag? He got depressed, and he said, surely there is a step between me and death. No, David, you're not going to die. Saul's not going to kill you. He said, surely Saul's going to kill me. No, David, maintain your faith, honey. I know it's been 16 years, but you are the king. And he goes to Ziklag down to the Philistine land, and he get, makes himself the bodyguard of the king of the Philistines. What? I'm the bodyguard now. David, you're bodyguard, and you're the lord of the Philistines. 16 months he lived in that place out of the will of God. Have you ever been anywhere 16 months? You shouldn't have been? All right. Right after that 16-month period of barrenness, the Bible says that David caught word that Saul was dead. Do you know the day David was anointed king, there were 27 years left of Saul? Oh, that's depressing when you think about it. If you think about it, that's depressing. That's like having a prison sentence for 27 years. And there's no way to finesse it and get the pardon, or you have to do the time. Samuel is anointing him with oil. That's good news. Above his brothers, that's better news. See, Daddy, I told you I'd be something. But, oopsie, there's 23 to 27 years of Saul left ahead of him. But one day David hears Saul is dead, and that triggers the release of David. Isn't God good that he's sovereign over death and life? It's the death of Moses that released Joshua forward into a straight line of conquest. It was the death of Saul that released the kingship of David to begin at Hebron. And right now, the Bible says that Caleb is being threatened with death. But Caleb's are unashamed because they're wholly given over to God. So he speaks the truth to them. He says, we're well able to take it. Those giants are breakfast cereal for us. Their defenses have departed from them. Let us go up at once. But the majority said no. Beloved, still be a part of the minority report, even if you're kept in conquest because of the unbelief of the majority. Still speak the truth. Caleb is unashamed. Caleb's speak truth to power. Caleb's are unintimidated by the majority. They don't care what the majority says. All they care about is the truth. And they will risk their neck. To t- now, this doesn't give you permission to have a sandpaper ministry and rub everyone the wrong way. That's not what I'm talking about. And we all say amen. Well, you know, I'm saying... No, 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 we don't need you doing that. We don't need smallness. Remember Jack Hayford used to talk about those who are afflicted with smallness. You know, just always, you know, watching the neighborhood. And, you know, did they park in front of my house? How many inches are there between the red and the actual parking area? Don't, 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 don't be afflicted with smallness and think that's God. 
making you a Caleb. No. <laughs> All right. We covered that group. So. <laughs> Caleb alone is going to have the spirit that influences and sways the culture to win this generation. It says Caleb and Joshua rent their garments when they heard the negative report. They didn't do nothing. They tore their garments as Jews did in moments of blasphemy and death. They realized these people were speaking blasphemous death, that they were defying God himself, and they ripped their clothes. But there's only two of them in all of these people. But you know, one man with God is a majority. One woman with God is a majority. Oh, beloved, Caleb, Caleb, that's the name that's going to define the leaders. You know, this week the Lord sort of ministered something to me that I did not know. Remember years ago we talked about the Joshua generation. I mean, it's the Joshua generation. I'm the Joshua generation. Well, I was wrong about that. The Joshua generation was never a crowd of people, the, the people going into the land. The Joshua generation were the leaders that God has been raising up the last 40 years that are going to lead the crowds. I was wrong. There were never was. There never materialized the Joshua generation. Never saw it march through the land, did you? Heard it preached, but I preached it wrong. I was looking at addition instead of multiplication. I was looking at the mob, the bodies, and I wasn't looking at the fact that God hasn't been doing that. He's been raising the Caleb's who are now, remember the desert babies, 50s to 60s? There's the crowd. Caleb, 85. Everything God told him as a young man, he's now seeing as an old man. And the timing is just perfect. And you know what? He said, Craig... All that Joshua generation of leaders, the, the Caleb's that I'm talking about today, they're all my age. They're all looking around each other thinking they have failure to launch syndrome. They're all looking at like, you know, I guess I missed something, you know, namely a life. And God is saying, no, no, you haven't missed a thing. Who told you that? What devil told you that? Caleb's fine. Caleb's right on target. Caleb wasn't in plan B, then he fell into plan C, and poor God was dumb enough not to know sovereignly what he's doing, and oh, I, I forgot that, therefore he had to go through that. No, 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 no. He's exactly where he needed to be for exactly the amount of years he needed to be there, and now he's right on time as he comes in. And he's the guy that is leading, even transcending Joshua's leadership. This is not a Jew. Think of that. This is a non-Jew. This is a Gallimorphy. This is a mixture. This is a person like Rahab, like Ruth, you know. They're non-believers in the sense of, you know, their orthodoxy is a little questionable. Caleb's are wholly given over to God. Caleb didn't have gifts and abilities. He was God's weapon in God's hand. He was the living sword of God in his generation. Wouldn't you love to be... The Bible says God put Gideon on as a man puts on a garment. Wouldn't you like to be the garment God puts on when he goes to battle? That you're available, wholly given over, while everybody else is half full and complaining about church things. Well, I think that we should take the carpet out because the youth are coming in now, and, you know, they, and they sit down on the carpet, and maybe we should tear it, you know, put some plastic over the carpet, so, you know, because we want to keep... 
when the early Jesus People movement started, there were people complaining to Chuck Smith that the young 250, 300 young hippies were sitting on the carpet. Chuck said, rip the carpet out. That's Caleb talking. You know when Caleb talks, because it just cuts to like a hot knife through butter, right? Caleb goes, you're all wrong. Your majority report is a lie. How dare you defy the, uh, the God of heaven? We are well able to take it. Let us go up at once. And then their unbelief kept him for 38 years going in circles. But you know what? He wasn't bitter. He was better. He had a choice now. What am I going to do for 38 years? Am I going to kick all these people, trip them? Thanks a lot. <laughs> you know, a bitter Caleb, oh, God, help us all. No, no, he was Mr. Sunshine for 38 years. Hi, can I help you? Can I serve you? I'll do the funeral. Sure, no problem. Lord, we thank you for your servant who, oh, whatever it was he did. Amen. Always good news. Beloved, are you building people up or tearing them down? Are you positive or are you negative? Are you encouraging or are you discouraging? You only have a choice. And don't you mess with me. Well, yeah, this is very important. This is No, no. When you hear the hate, the vitriol, the destruction, the tearing down, all of the evidences, like the woman that came to me and said, why don't I have any friends? Gee, I don't know. It's a mystery. You know, don't dress up evil and call it good. Don't do it. No. Don't do it. You know if you're tearing down. You know if you're burning down a life, a reputation, the work of God. At no time are you deceived or deluded into thinking you're doing God a service when you're wicked and you're doing evil things and you're bringing an evil report and you're tearing down a life. I don't care what you say. You put God's name on it. I've had people tear down my reputation and do it intentionally and try to humiliate me in public and lie about me. I've had that happen. Now, it's enough that I've done things I've done, but when you're lied about, I mean, at least tell the truth and burn me down. But when you see hate and vitriol get to such a point that people are inventing stuff, He's a devil. What else did he do? He, he killed my mama. You know, he killed your mama? Well, yeah. <laughs> you see, this is where they were. They had a frenzy going, the whole nation. Two million people are going, ah! It says they were screaming out loud before God, and the Lord himself said, I'm, hold me back. I'm going to take them all out. This is, I'm sick of this. I've been central air, central heating, clothes don't wear out, and, I, and they will not. But Caleb has another spirit. So Caleb, I'm going to give him Hebron. I'm going to give him the mountain possessed by demon-possessed giants. I'm going to give him the mountain guarded by all spiritual dark powers. <laughs> I think I signed up for that when I was 15. <laughs> Could I have the mountain that are, is guarded by all spiritual dark powers? Thank you. Could I have that? Yeah, sure, Craig. Well, I mean, do you really want that? Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, all the dark powers. We're talking about the Lord Mordor. Yeah, I want that. With the fire and the horns. Yep, give me that one. 
Caleb is not acting like he's a man of faith. This is his passion. He's wholly given over to God. He only is moved by things that move God. So God takes a special interest in Caleb because Caleb is a man after his own heart. He's a Nathaniel. And did you know the leaders of our time are going to be those wonderful men, women, boys, and girls? And they don't have to be 85. They may be 16. They may be 20. They're not arrogant spiritually. They're confident and wholly given over to the Lord. Don't you just want to be available to God? That's all you need to do. Just when your feet at the ground every day, say, Lord, I'm your Forrest Gump for the kingdom. I'm a feather in the wind. If you need me, here I am. Remember Ananias, the man in Acts chapter 9 that was in Damascus? We don't know anything about him other than one day Jesus appeared and said, could you go down, Saul of Tarsus is down the block. Could you go down and baptize him and lay hands on him? And, and Ananias says, oh, pardon, Saul? Ah, Lord, I've heard much of this man recently. He goes, no, it's okay. It's okay, just go. He was available. Don't you want to be the Ananias in the city? We don't know what happened to him. I mean, he could have joined a rock band after that. We don't know. But he was available in the moment like Caleb was for 85 years. This was the hallmark of this man, wholly given over to God. An open glove for God to just reach into his back and animate him. That's what I want to be. I just want to be the puppet that's available there that God goes, Craig, call them right now. I, I do that all the time. I'm minding my own business. Lord says, call so-and-so. And I go, okay, you know, what's what I could be, that could be the devil, and I call them, and then, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen? You know, they slam the phone down. Craig, ha, ha, boom. You know, but it never really happens. It's always the right time. The right. What are you going to risk? So you say hello, right? You connect. You have fellowship. But I just say, Lord, and he says, call so-and-so. And I called a preacher the other day. God bless him. What a joy. You know, when you call preachers, they hear this stuff. They eat it up. They eat it up. They, they listen to it twice. They read the notes, and then they go and preach to a crowd. But I get more done on the phone with a preacher in 35 minutes because we finish one another's sentences, and we talk in code. And they get all excited because this lines up everything the Holy Spirit has been telling them, and they'll preach on Caleb. They'll go, that's the spirit that marks the leaders of our time. Yes, it is. This is the Holy Ghost, folks. He that has an ear to hear. The, minor, the minority report will be overtaken by the minority report in our time. Someone say amen. Oh, my. Caleb shut up the negative report of the wicked spies. He was confident, and the Lord raised him up. Now, we're not going to talk about this today. This is next week. But I want to just talk for a minute about uh, Dr. Carol Dweck wrote a book called Mindset in which she talks about two mindsets. And she would look at why some people succeed and why some people fail. And she came down to what she calls the fixed mindset and secondly, the growth mindset. Now, the, the, the 10 spies had a fixed mindset. Such people are laden with expectations and are risk-averse and they do not want to be seen to fail. So they're so interested in protecting their reputations, their view is we can't win, so we won't try. That's a fixed mindset. And in life, when you see people with a fixed mindset, they're the ones that never launch, they're the ones that always fail, they're the ones that never risk. But there's a second mindset called a growth mindset, which fits perfectly under Caleb's category. A growth mindset 
is a mindset that is not fear failure, and it relishes challenges and is unafraid of risks and trials. A growth mindset says, that's okay if I fail. I'll just do it again bigger and better. We'll make it next time. I'm not afraid of anything. It's okay. Oh, I blew it. Okay, get right back up. The righteous man falls seven times and will get up again. A risk, but a, a, a mindset that is fixed can't risk, won't risk, will always lean in the negative, is always the thermometer. Do you see all those people? They were thermometers reflecting their environment. We can't do it, oh God, we're going to have it. Caleb and Joshua were thermostats. They said, we are controlling this environment. We are well able. Let us go up at once. We want to be thermostats in this time, Caleb. You're a thermostat, never a thermometer. And you know in your life when, when you feel attacked and when you're under the weight, I can promise you your gaze just shifted. You, you were gazing at God and glancing at the giants. Now you're gazing at the giants. You're glancing at God. You were a thermostat controlling your environment, but something happened in the last 40 minutes, and you're now a thermometer reflecting your environment. It, we see it happen just like that. When you have this language, though, you can see it in yourself, and you can see it in your spouse, and you can see it in your family. You don't need to judge anybody. You can just simply say, someone's being a little thermometer. 20 minutes ago, you were a thermostat controlling your environment. Now you're just reflecting it. They'll stone you too, but the power of God will come out to save you right then. So Dweck says that the 10 spies had a fixed mindset. They're laden with expectations. Notice it says they were men of respect. They were men of renown. They had reputations they felt they needed to protect and defend. Guess what? Caleb didn't have any reputation he needed to defend and protect. He said, I don't care if there are giants. Let's eat them for breakfast. He wasn't being a hyper-faith guy. He literally, he was gazing at God. They were gazing at the giants. Just a difference of focus. Do you see that? They had the same facts, the same 860-mile trip, the same spying-out situation, but their conclusion was wrong. Everything was fine until Saul for, you know, and it's like, oh, oh. And did you know that that's true? <laughs> I got to tell you, I read a Bible commentary. I, 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 I collect books, so I have Bible commentaries, right? And Bible commentaries are books written about a book of the Bible, and you can go to the verse, and you can look and see what this guy says. Well, this guy was... Um, smoking mushrooms or something. I don't know. He's a, he's a great Hebrew scholar. He's, uh, he's got all the d more degrees than a thermometer. He is exegeting the text. He's in the original language. He's doing everything fine until he comes to the conclusion. And then he came up with this ghastly conclusion. And I'm, I was like, I yelled in my room. You know, Rebecca goes, are you okay? <laughs> is there another stroke? Oh, that, no. You know, I just went, oh! Because he was fine until he came to a conclusion that was just completely unwarranted. And I just thought, oh, he's running so well. You know what? It matters if you're born again. It matters if you know Christ. It matters if your heart belongs to him wholly and completely because that will affect your heart affects your exegesis. Your heart affects everything you do. Your heart affects how you preach. Have you ever heard preachers preach? And they're technically telling you the truth, but they're yelling at you and they're screaming and they're... They're a windmill spitting cotton. <laughs> like that time at Melody Land when I was so hungry I ate the crackers before the sermon. 
and I spit a fine spray of crackers over all the blue-haired ladies in the front row. They got more than they had bargained for. Amen. There's manna. It's appearing in... No, no, Lord. I started the manna movement 25 years ago indirectly. <laughs> the Caleb generation, because of wholeheartedness, has vision. Unlike the majority. They have verbal boldness for truth even in the face of the threat of death. That's a trait. They obtain an inheritance that others will not. Caleb was given an inheritance that no one else was promised. And he's the non-Jew. He's the little boy that, you know, we just sort of let him into Judah, you know. Be nice, you know. He's like a little guy and needs a little help. No, no. This man was God's man. Caleb was his glove on his hand. He put Caleb on as a man puts on a garment. And that was unique to Caleb. Now, next week, we're going to take a look at, 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 at one of the traits of Caleb that I find absolutely delicious. He had a favor that had fallen upon him that fell upon all his companions, all of his colleagues, anyone in ministry with him, and all of his children and beyond. That a Caleb spirit is capable wholeheartedly of being a vulnerable to God and open to God and usable to God, but God's able to correspondingly bless Caleb's with favor, with oil, with blessing, and with spiritual manifestations that affect and infect everyone around them. Isn't it good to know that the little champagne glass God's filling at the top is falling down and filling the two underneath it and filling those two and then filling the four underneath it? Caleb, God wants to pour you to overflowing, your cup running over, because it's going to fill everybody around you, and that's a symbol of Caleb. Next week, I'm, I'm going to pick up with... Uh, I, I didn't even preach my favorite part of Caleb. That's for next week. Because there is a transactional power Caleb had against demonic powers that is unknown anywhere else in the Bible. Do you remember in Acts, I've always quoted, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you in Acts 19? Remember the seven sons of Sceva try to cast a demon out? They come up to a possessed man and they say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preacheth, come out. And it says, Paul I know, <laughs> Jesus I know, but who are you? And it says they leapt on them and tore them to pieces. You're known in hell. You're known in heaven by the angels, but you are known by demons. If you are a concerted threat to the devil, they know. They talk about that. Now, I used to scream at devils as a young man, but that wasn't the same as having authority. <laughs> I was just setting myself up to be barbecue dinner. Come out of that woman and shine my shoes on the way to hell in Jesus' name. I actually said that. And everything went south after that. <laughs> don't hit a beehive with a stick unless you want the Winnie the Pooh attention. You don't have to hide in the mud. Anyway, Caleb has, because of his wholeheartedness, that's his secret. That's his It's not a talent, a gift, an ability, a seminary degree. It's his, he has a childlike heart. And all of us can have that. He is available. We can all be available. Whatever age, whatever the lack of talents, abilities, or gifts. That's why Caleb is, a, is an excellent vision, visionary leader for us, each of us. He can use granny like that. He can use grandpa like that. He can use a baby. Someone sent me a video of a three-year-old girl singing a worship song to a track. God can use a three-year-old baby to worship Jesus in public and preach the gospel, and lay hands on the sick. 
I believe this Caleb anointing is going to involve old, old people and little babies, every age conceivable. The Spirit of God's going to put them on like a garment. Because Caleb had an ability to transact spiritual removal. He was like a cleaning system for the demonic. And this is only unique to Caleb. Joshua doesn't have this. Caleb has this. He has an ability to go to the most guarded demonic areas, and he just walks in, and they all run. We are going to see God clean mountains, cities, landscapes. Do you know before we came here, we were back in Deary Road. There were more devils on that Deary Road property. We were there for nine years. I preached there for nine years. Now, we worshiped every week faithfully. I preached the gospel faithfully. You can listen to the tapes. You don't hear a, a hitch. Everything flowed. There was more demonic funk on that property. We don't know what happened. Somebody said there was an Indian burial ground over there. Whatever it was, every time I preached, I felt the resistance immediately in the room just like on my face like this. We'd lead worship. We had Delia. We had the full worship band. Remember that? We had everything, right? But there was always an unbroken. We, <laughs> we had John Dawson come who did reconciliation services between the Indians and all the white people we could find, all right? We, we tried to reconcile. We, did, we, we, we put oil on the ground. We, we took sticks and wrote scriptures on them and pounded stakes in the ground, and it got worse. <laughs> Betty, my secretary, used to say, what the heck is going on? I said, well, B, if you'd straighten up and get right with God, maybe that hedge would go back up for us. I mean, it was just a matter of a joke. We moved one off-ramp from Canaan to here, Reyes Adobe, and it isn't here, the demonic forces are not here. Why are we still here on this property? Because this is clean right here. You go back one off ramp. It took me 40 years to get three off ramps from Chesbro to Canaan to here. 40 years. Why are we in the Hampton and Suites? Because it's clean. The ground is clean. We have spiritual liberty here. One mile back. Explain it. I can't. I've had multiple explanations. But Caleb had an ability. He's the guy we would send back to Canaan, Caleb. Caleb would say, it's all right, baby. I'll go see Canaan. And he just starts walking and all the demons, wow, they'd pack up and go, right? That is going to be a primary power of deliverance that's going to mark this outpouring of the Holy Ghost, power over evil spirits. Did you know what impressed everybody in the ministry of Jesus? Wasn't the healing, wasn't raising the dead. It was the authority over demons that he had. That was, had never been seen. All right? People have been raised from the dead in the Bible. It was his authority over evil spirits where they said, even the evil spirits leave when we speak. That's what shocked them, not the signs and the wonders. So I believe that's what the Lord is going to be showing us. It's going to be a, a welcome mat of spiritual power against demonic forces that no one has seen before in our time. And by the way, all those things are still over there. We went, Tommy and I got in the car and drove over there the other day. I still feel as funky over there on Derry Road as I did. It's all empty now. It's a ghost town. But it's funky. There's still, I can't describe it. There's just, some spiritual funk just doesn't lift off an area. I don't know. I don't know the answer. But when John Dawson comes and nothing gets moved, <laughs> he's the guy that wrote Taking Your Cities for God. You know, he's the guy that was the expert on casting multi-generational spirits off the land well. When his ministry didn't do anything, I thought, let's move. 
and we moved one off-ramp into blessing. That's part of the Caleb spirit. Amen? And that's what I want to pray for you right now. Father, we pray for all those who are under the sound of my voice right now. Lord, I pray that Caleb anointing would begin to flow into the living room, Lord. That, that, that uh, uh, the Bible says this kind cometh out but by prayer and fasting. Lord, there have been demonic strongholds that have been unmoved and they're unfettered and they just don't seem to blink and they don't seem to budge. But Lord, we thank you that you're going to do a thing through your Caleb's that will displace these demonic powers that have sat as squatters on our territory, Ill, Ill, illicit squatting of the demon powers that have stayed on holy places, people, and things. We thank you, Lord, that Caleb anointing is going to break the demonic off, confront and drive it out as nothing else has. And we dare to believe, Lord God, that you, the mighty God, you know what acid to put in the enemy. You know exactly what shoehorn to use to, to break him off and get, get him out of our churches, our marriages, our families, our homes, our businesses, our finances. Lord, you, we, we surrender all of these bits of holy ground to you and we ask that you would release a, a, a spirit of glory that will push off these giants and displace the land, Lord. Give it back to us. We pray you flip the pancake, Lord, of these people, places, and things the enemy has been squatting on, and that you give that land back to us, those ministries back to us, those gifts back to us. In the name of Jesus, somebody say amen. Beloved, you're right on time. Caleb, you're of the Caleb generation. You're going to see things the majority can't. You're going to dare to speak truth to power. Nothing is going to threaten you. You're not going to be afraid. Even of threats of death, you're going to speak the truth in love. And God will bring his power. It doesn't matter who tries to kill you. That's just when the power comes to the tabernacle. So praise the Lord. We are going to move forward, right? Dead fish fall downstream. Only living fish can go against the grain. So we're going to go against the grain. We're going to swim up because we're alive. We have life in us. Amen. So bless the Caleb's and the Calebettes. Be encouraged. We're on the threshold. David, come on up. David has the table of the Lord. And Erie, thank you so much for these beautiful implements and elements. I just absolutely love them. At home right now, maybe you could go get your bread and go get your little, maybe your little cup of, of juice or, or if you have some water, any, any elements to share with us. Because this is our point of contact. And today it's for us to dare to surrender ourselves to God wholly and completely. Isn't that something? Nothing withheld. Nothing held back, beloved. Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, arise and go forth, Joshua. Well, Caleb has a whole unique hammer power to destroy demonic powers. But it's only because he was wholly an empty glove for God to wear, an empty garment for God to put on. And that's the kind of usefulness we need to offer to the Lord in this season. Amen? And it's all purchased through the blood of Jesus and his broken body. It's all because of his cross. But loved one, I want you to know the Lord Jesus Christ adores his Caleb's. He adores those men, women, boys, and girls who, whatever your age, where you've wholly given yourself over, where your only ability is availability, where you say, here am I, Lord, send me. I know there's not that much I can do. Here am I, send me, Isaiah said. Here am I, send me. May God bless you.
God's peace on you today in Jesus' name. While you get your elements together. Have you ever heard the teaching that God sends disease and illness because of your lack of faith? That somehow enduring the disease is going to make you closer to Him? Have you ever heard the teaching that disease is uh, somehow uh, judging your lack of obedience? I mean, I've heard this stuff all the time. And it's really a shame. But hear what Jesus says. He's talking about himself in the third person here in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 18. Listen to what he says. He who believes in him, God's Son, is not judged. In the present tense, not will not be judged, is not judged. Boy, I want you to just receive that down in your spirit today. If you're fighting any kind of illness, if you've got an injury, I'm fighting cancer. But that's not a judgment from God. This all comes from the enemy. It comes from our carnal nature, maybe in our body, but it doesn't come from God. The pandemic is not a judgment on America. If it was, God would be judging every believer that's in America. It all comes from the enemy. But thank Jesus that he took his body. He allowed it to be broken to free us from all that disease and injury and whatever you're dealing with physically. Receive that wholeness in Jesus' name. Let's break the bread and let's partake. Now let's take the cup. This is equally important. God is not judging you for your mistakes, for your sins, for your weaknesses. Jesus shed his blood on the cross and took all the judgment that you and I deserve for us to be free. All your sins are forgiven. Let's partake. And let's give praise to the Son of God who set us free. And we're being free now. We're being transformed every day to be more and more. The Caleb's of the world. He's calling you. He's calling me. He's calling all of us. We don't have to do anything. He's working by His Holy Spirit in you right now. Caleb's come forth. Let's gather together in Jesus' name and just spread the good news. And it's awesome. And I just want to thank you all today for worshiping with us. Thank you all for gathering here. Thank you for your prayers and for your support. We just, you know, we, we need your contributions and we need that support so that we can continue to gather together. If you have an offering to send in, please do. Just follow whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to do. And if you're worshiping here, we've got a receptacle in, in the uh, corner. And uh, God bless you in your giving. And I just pray that you have a fantastic week. And we look forward to seeing you next week in Jesus' name. We hope today's message has been a blessing to you. And if it has, please visit our website at drcraigjohnson.org. There you can find additional messages of encouragement. And if our ministry has been a blessing to you, please consider us in your ministry giving, as we depend solely on the financial assistance of our listeners like yourself. Also, please feel free to send any personal prayer requests. You can find us online at drcraigjohnson.org. God bless you.